0: Well, let's begin 1 Samuel chapter 15 tonight, and we'll kind of squeeze our way into chapter 16 if there's time, well, we'll, we'll make time, won't we? Yes. This continues to be, for me, an amazing study. Uh, uh, truly, it's a character study. So far, we've been studying one primary character. Well, we've seen a couple. We've seen Hannah, we've seen Samuel, and, and now the primary character for the last several weeks has been Saul. And as we consider his character, we recognize some things about Saul. If you haven't recognized this already, you will tonight. There are cracks in his character. There are flaws in Saul's foundation. Problems in his personality. Imperfections in his integrity. You know, if you have to do with building a house, you know you do not want cracks in the foundation before you even build the house. If the foundation is not sound... The house will not stand. And in Saul's case, the foundation is not sound. He is lacking in character. He has some serious flaws. And the problem with that. And the problem with that, we may be here well tonight, is that character is not something that's easily changed. You can try and change outward appearance you can try and fake someone out you can dress things up you can put cover up on it. I've talked about this before women have this thing called cover up it's like it's, it's not makeup it's actually a, an extra thing you know what I'm talking about yeah. and you, you were talking about that just the other day it covers the, it covers the zip it's thank helpful. you Sarah, daughter yeah and it's helpful that's what we try to do we cover up what's what's there what's beneath the surface but the problem is what's beneath the surface is still beneath the surface In our character, we might be able to cover up character As we see Saul do from time to time He tries to cover it up But character is not something that's easily changed Character is who we are In the deepest part of our nature You know this It's who you are behind closed doors When no one else is looking Say maybe your family Or someone you're very close to They're the ones who can tell us a few things about you They're the ones we don't want talking about us Because they know, they've seen Our true character, our nature. I'll tell you, it is so easy to stand up here and teach the Bible, and boy, the character that you think you see, maybe it's not as good as I think it is, but... (laughs) But it's not what my family always sees at home. That's why I keep telling you it's about the Word and not about the pastor, because the pastor's got character flaws like anybody else. The thing I'm trying to say here is that in spite of how we present ourselves outwardly, our true character remains, and eventually our true character will out. It will bubble over. No matter how hard we try to hide it, and Jesus is a great example of this. When the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, that should tell us something about Jesus. He has the character of God. He has in and of himself, he has the nature of God. He is God. And so it's no surprise that when we see him walking in the flesh, he is flawless. His character is sound. Everything he does, everything he says, every action, every behavior of Jesus is perfect. Because his character is perfect. What you see on the surface with Jesus is exactly what you see beneath. And so we can assume who Jesus is, who Jesus was, and who Jesus will always be. Because it bubbles up time and time again in his ministry. We see uh, Saul's Saul's character bubbling over as well. Time and time again, though he tries to cover it up, it comes out and we see it. And the problem with Saul is that the character that bubbles up is not positive. That which we see showing up. It's a negative. And there are hints of that coming up to chapter 15 here. Several times we've seen things and we've gone, Oh, well that's kind of prideful.
1: Oh, that's self-serving. Oh, that,
0: that's downright murderous and intense. Oh, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. His character is being revealed. And our character for all our attempts to change or cover our outward appearance is who we truly are. Now for those of you who don't really like who you truly are, I have some good news for you. If you consider your character, you look in the mirror and you say, Man, I'd really rather be like Russ. Or I'd rather be like Dan. Or I wish I had the character of someone else. Because I don't like who I am. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. To be born again, to be born of Jesus, is to be born anew. Not reshaped, not the old kind of fixed up and cleaned up and sent out, but recreated, created brand new, born again, as if you never existed before. There is a new you that has come on the scene in Jesus Christ. You're reformatted. You know how when you take a computer and it gets all gummed up, you can reformat it. That wipes everything off the hard drive. Nothing is there. And then there's a new computer, literally, a new format that's there. That's what happens when we come to Christ. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. One of the things that Christians struggle with the most is accepting and believing that the old is truly gone. It's history. It's history. Those things I did 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 5 years ago, yesterday, gone. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. And something happens to prove this to us, to testify of this. Something happens that affects character change at the absolute deepest level. We become, when we come to Jesus, we become indwelt by His Holy Spirit. That's character change from the inside out. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory, you are, I am, spirit-filled. And I've said before, when people ask me, Rick, is it a spirit-filled church? I say, hey, if there are Christians there, it's spirit-filled because to be in Christ is to be spirit filled to give your life to Jesus to become a follower of his he says I will come and make my home within you my father and I will dwell in you I will give you my spirit to indwell you and to be with you always having the Holy Spirit fill us up recreates our character from the inside out but I want you to hear this it's important Having the Holy Spirit fill me, and having the power of the Spirit come upon me, are two different things. Two different things. Now we've talked about this before, but typically when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, that's the focus. Yeah, you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you come to Jesus,
1: but but you can also have the
0: power of the Spirit come upon you. I want to look at the other side of that because I think it's more
1: important.
0: You see, in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit often came upon a person in power. And when I say came upon, I'm talking about like in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and they began to speak in other languages and tongues and they had the power to heal and they were given gifts. That's the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. They had already been filled with the Holy Spirit 40 days earlier when Jesus said to them in John 20, Received the Holy Spirit And he breathed on them They were indwelled with the Spirit But then the power came upon them In the Old Testament This happened all the time Not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit But the power of God's Spirit Coming upon someone Saul had the power of the Holy Spirit Upon him 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 10 Tells us that the power of the Spirit of God Came upon Saul And he prophesied He was not indwelled with the Holy Spirit he had the power of the Spirit on him, and so he was able to do Holy Spirit stuff, to prophesy. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6, tells us that the Spirit came upon him again, and he drove out the Ammonites. 1 Samuel eleven six: 6, the Spirit comes upon Samuel, and in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, chapter 10, verse 6, says, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy. With them and you will be changed into another man. The problem is, Saul was never changed. It never happened. He was never changed into another man. He had the power of the Spirit upon him, but he didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. Why? What happened to Saul? Maybe he was changed a little bit briefly at the outset when he first was kind of standing back and and they were offering him the kingship of Israel and he was hiding among the luggage you know and he he didn't want to, to put himself out there but it changed very quickly for Saul because the foundation wasn't sound the cracks in Saul's character surfaced quickly because again even though the spirit came upon him in power the spirit had never filled him internally this can only happen by the blood of Jesus A person can only be filled with the Holy Spirit because they have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you're not cleansed by the blood of Jesus, the Spirit's not going to come and make His home within you. Which is why when you become a Christian and you give your life to the Lord in faith and in trust and you ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, that the Spirit then indwells you because you've been washed by the blood. The Saul had not been washed by the blood. So he had the power of the Spirit on him but he didn't have the Holy Spirit within him and honestly, I thought about this all week long I really think I would rather, much rather have the Holy Spirit indwell me than have the power of the Spirit upon me. I would much rather know internally that God's Spirit is there He's made His home within me and He's working within my life changing me, reformatting my entire character as He does so beautifully than to have His power on me and to be able to do things To have spiritual gifts. Now, praise God, it's not an either-or situation. But you are filled with the Spirit, but you also can have the power of the Spirit come upon you in mighty ways with spiritual gifts. But if I had a choice, I'd rather have the Spirit dwell inside me Romans 8.16 the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God and if children heirs also heirs of God fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him today God gives us his spirit both ways he says I want to come and make my home in you but I also want to offer you power when you need it most power to witness power to be a servant in the body of Christ Spiritual gifts for the purpose of serving one another. But first, first, and don't miss this, we often do in the church, we want to hopscotch right over the indwelling of the Spirit to get to the power gifts of the Spirit. Isn't the indwelling of the Spirit more precious to us? That's my walking relationship with Jesus. That's me waking up in the morning and saying... Good morning Lord It's good to be with you today That's me lying down On my bed at night And saying Lord Thank you for today And be with me Through the night It's when I'm In the middle of the day Having a really hard time And I can just turn and say Lord I just I'm struggling here I tell you what When I'm having a hard time Speaking in tongues Is not what I need When I'm struggling, struggling Emotionally I don't need to go out And heal someone To feel better I want to talk to my Lord I want to know He's here And we have that with the Holy Spirit of God. Saul did not. And so we see character cracks, flaws in his foundation, problems with his personality. We see in Saul imperfections with his integrity and they become increasingly pronounced as Saul's life continues on. Chapter 15 and verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Now, this is amazing to me, because he's already told Saul, Your kingdom is going to be taken from you. You're messing up, Saul. We've already seen several times where he's made some serious errors. And yet Samuel comes back and he says, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king. Therefore, listen to the words of the Lord, in spite of Saul's character flaws. Samuel is still saying, Listen, pay attention. He still gives Saul opportunity to change and change begins with a simple phrase, listen to the words of the Lord. Just listen to the words. Oh Rick, I became a Christian a year ago, ten years ago, I just don't feel like I'm changing. Listen to the words. Listen to what the Lord is saying to you. Be in His Word. Be open to His Word. Listen to the words of the Lord because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Romans 10.17 So Saul, Samuel tells Saul, Listen. Just listen. It's not by our clever words or great debating skills, by the way, that people will be saved or changed. But by the words of the Lord brought to mind by His Spirit at just the right time. We were talking about this the other morning. Russ and I... And and Andrew trust me Andrew Ben and Dan were, we're praying the five of us are, are uh, going to the Philippines at the end of this month and so we met we are praying about and talking about the trip and talking about you know how are we going to know what to say and when to say it and what's the right thing how do we prepare for this we really don't know how we're supposed to really be ready to talk and to, to speak in the Philippines Matthew 10 19 says do not worry about how or what you are to say it will be given you in that hour what you are to say it is not you who speak, it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. See, the Holy Spirit who indwells me also will speak through me. So I can hear His words coming into me and out of me. It's, it's an amazing thing. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. The right word at the right time and the right season. He says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. To listen to what? To the Word. To what God has to say. The words of the Lord. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. You remain faithful to the Word. And God will give you the right words. You remain faithful to the Word. Listen to the words of the Lord and the right words will be given to you in the right time and so Samuel says listen to the words of the Lord verse 2 thus says the Lord of hosts I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him now listen to this but put to death both man and woman child and infant ox and sheep camel and and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. He said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. You read this and and this this is one of those reasons why people look at the Old Testament and say God was a harsh God back then. (laughs) What's going on here? What's this about? 400 years earlier the people of Israel had come out of Egypt and to the promised land. And at that time, they had been attacked. They had been picked on. They had been targeted by a terrorist cell by the name of the Amalekites, led by a man named Amalek. Do you remember that story, Amalek? He he basically bent at the heels of the Israelites. He went after the weak. He went after those who were straggling behind. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. The Lord says, remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven you must not forget. This is serious business as far as the Lord was concerned. He made a decree all the way back then. Amalek must be wiped out. Once you're settled in the land and things are strong and stable and secure, it's time to wipe out Amalek, the people, the Amalekites, completely from the face of the earth.
1: Hmm.
0: By the way, what Amalek does is exactly what the enemy does. He picks us off in the frail places, when we're straggling behind. When we're tired, when we're weary, on the back end of the pack, that's where the enemy attacks. He gets us in our vulnerabilities, our weak places, the places where we are feeble. Which is why intercessory prayer is so important. As we've talked about intercessory prayer, the act of interceding on behalf of one another, praying for each other. There's an amazing picture of this when we see Amalek attacking the people of Israel all the way back in Exodus 17. You may remember the story. It tells us Amalek attacks, and so Moses goes up on a mountain where he could overlook the entire battlefield. And the people begin to fight under the direction of Joshua. For the first time, we meet Joshua there, and he's, he's fighting with the people. And Moses is up on the mountain, and the Bible tells us when Moses' hands were lifted up, the people fought valiantly, and they were victorious. But as his hands began to get tired and come down, the people started to lose. So he had Aaron and he had her, he and his and her, you know, standing there, holding up his arms. So that the prayer, the intercession would continue throughout the battle and Israel would win. Which is interesting to me because not only is Moses standing there with hands lifted a picture of intercessory prayer, but Aaron and her there with him is a picture of the unity of intercession, the power of more than one person praying together, interceding for other people. Which is why we're called as a body to pray individually, but to pray collectively. To intercede collectively for a lost world And for hurting people around us Exodus 17 verse 14 Tells us after that battle The Lord said to Moses Write this in a book as a memorial And recite it to Joshua That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek From under heaven And now is the time 400 years later Now is the time for Amalek to be wiped out Wouldn't Amalek like be dead by then dude? Yeah he, he is dead He's got to be gone by then. But the people, the Amalekites, still exist. They still remain. And after 400 years, God is now keeping His promise. Partially because God keeps His promises. When God says He's going to do something, it will happen, whether it's pretty or not. If the Lord makes a decree, you better believe He's going to follow through. Now some might say, isn't this a little bit harsh and unfair? And to that we can only say the Amalekites were so sinful and corrupt. That ultimately God was putting them out of their misery, while at the same time protecting Israel from their corruption. This was a bad people game, and the things the Amalekites were doing were horrific. Yeah, but but, but infants, killing the infants and the children along with the adults and everybody—it just I, it doesn't seem right. God is merciful. So first off, you need to understand that He's merciful, and when we don't understand that, we will later. But even in this act and we got to be real careful as we walk walk this out. I'll, I'll go ahead and say this to you because it's just my opinion. But the murder of the children and the infants actually saved their lives. Because where would those children go? Well, they'd be directly into the hands of the father. And they wouldn't be raised among a people so corrupt that ultimately where they would go is straight to hell. It's like a rabid dog that is in your backyard. You you shoot the rabid dog. You put the dog down to save the children, to save the family. And that's what God is doing. He's putting down the rabid people, the Amalekites. And at the same time, He's protecting Israel. And the time has come for this to happen. And so He says to Saul, listen to the words of the Lord, almost as though Samuel is saying, by God, He's saying to Saul, this is a way that your rule can go on. Uh, This is a way that you can... Show yourself obedient to the Lord. Do as he commands. And what does Saul do? Not what he commands. Look at verse 8 again. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. What did God tell him to do? Wipe them all out. He didn't say, Keep any alive. As a matter of fact, reading on verse 9 says, Saul and the people spared Agag. They did it on purpose. It wasn't a gag. And the best of the sheep, and the oxen and the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Partial obedience. Partial obedience. Not the whole thing. God said, wipe them all out. Everything they own, everything they have, everything that lives and brings among the Amalekites, gone. And they don't. They just wipe out. The things that they don't really want. But the good stuff, the spoils, and even King Agag, they they hang on to this. They keep these things for themselves. And it tells us in verse 10 the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried to the Lord all night. I love Samuel. He really cares about Saul. He really loves this man, this this mess up of a king. Samuel still loves him. He cares so much about him. He is distressed and crying all night long because of this. And the problem is again, partial obedience. God said utterly destroy, completely blot out the memory of Amalek and Saul didn't. He kept the spoils and he kept the king. By the way, the word agag... King Agag, his name literally means I will overtop, or I will succeed. The Amalekites, Analek, and Agag, they picture powerfully for us in the scriptures, the flesh. And it's a great name for him because that's what the flesh says. I will overcome. I will succeed. I will overtop. Indeed. For the truth is in our lives spiritually if we don't kill the flesh, the flesh will kill us. Amen. If you don't kill the flesh, the flesh will kill you. Galatians 6.8 says, For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You can do a little a little uh, test. Have one person sit down and watch filthy movies every Wednesday night between 7 and 9. And have another person sit down and go to Bible study every Wednesday night from 7 to 9. And watch what happens. One is going to reap eternal life and spiritual things the other is going to reap corruption what you sow you will reap spiritually I've, sh- I've shared this as a spiritual law. it's a truth it's the way it is and you and I have that to decide what are we going to do are we going to feed the flesh or are we going to feed the spirit and if you feed the flesh the flesh will feed on you and there's a powerful picture of this with Saul himself over in 2 Samuel chapter 1 we see Saul on Mount Gilboa He's been fighting alongside his son Jonathan. And Saul is is wounded but not dying. He tries to commit suicide, but he can't follow through. Ultimately, you know whose sword goes directly through Saul? The sword of an Amalekite. Had Saul wiped out the Amalekites like God told him to, an Amalekite sword would not have been there to kill Saul. But if you allow the flesh to live. If you don't kill the flesh, the flesh will kill you. Saul's lack of obedience literally kills him. It's what is his final end. But Saul's sin doesn't just affect Saul. Saul's sin also affects and impacts the entire nation of Israel. Two hundred years after this story. There's another story in the Bible. We'll eventually get to it. It may take two hundred years. But it's the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, there's a, a nefarious character who shows up. A guy by the name of Haman. And Haman is the Hitler of his day. Haman, in the story of Esther, wants to goes to the king with the intention of finding a way to wipe out all the Jews. Off the face of the earth. He is satanically driven because, you see, Satan wants to wipe out the Jews from the face of the earth. He wants to wipe out God's people so God's promises cannot be kept. And so Esther tells the story of this man Haman This wicked, this evil man And Haman is an Agagite What does that mean? He's he's the offspring of Agag, the king The king that Saul allowed to live And because Saul didn't wipe out everybody as God said Not only does Saul himself die a little bit later But 200 years after that There's still an Amalekite by the name of Haman Who is causing problems for Israel See, Saul couldn't see that. And you or me, we could be in the same place. We could hear this, this command to put to death man and woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel and donkey. And we could question the Lord. And we could say, you know, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. So I'm not going to follow through completely. I'm going to let some people live out of my own mercy. What we don't know is what God knows. What we can't see, God sees. And so we're in the place that we have a choice here again. Do we just trust the Lord that He does know best? Or do we in our own finite minds decide that we're going to battle Him for it? We're going we're to say we know what's going on. We can, we can figure things out on our own. And that's what Saul does. And it's pride, once again. Pride always assumes it can handle the flesh. But in that famous verse, Proverbs 16:18, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. In other words, if you feed your pride, you are going to fall. It's the way it is. Well, verse 10. So the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret I made Saul king. Verse 12: Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord, brother, he is going to religion here. It's so interesting to me. You listen to how how Saul is speaking. In the back of his mind, he knows. He knows he didn't follow through completely. But he sees Samuel. Oh, Samuel, my brother. How blessed are you of the Lord. Good to see you. And he's religiousizing here. But he also begins rationalizing. He says, I have carried out the command of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears? It's really bothering me. And the lowing of the oxen which I hear. And he carried out everything? How come I'm hearing this? Something's not right. And Saul said, they. And that's his first problem. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spare the best of the sheep and the oxen... Um, To sacrifice to the Lord your God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's it. That's why we kept the stuff. It's for God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, Wait. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said Go and utterly destroy the sinners Notice that The sinners The Amalekites And fight against them until they are exterminated Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord But rushed upon the spoil And did what was evil in the sight of the Lord And Saul said to Samuel I did obey the voice of the Lord Then I went on the mission which the Lord sent me and it brought back King Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. I, I did both. I did what God said. I utterly destroyed, and, and I brought King Agag back. So I did what God wanted, and I did a little bit of what I wanted. Verse 21, But the people, again, he's pointing at the people, but the people took some of the spoil, the sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal, He's shirking his responsibility here. He's pointing at the people. Samuel said back in verse 17, Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, the Lord anointed you. That's a telling statement. You see, God exalts those who humble themselves. God likes the little guy. God is a big fan of the underdog. He exalts the humble. Now about this whole proud, humble thing. What's wrong With taking a little pride in our victories. I mean, spiritually speaking, what's wrong with the Dove Awards, for example? They make great Christian music, it's worship, it's wonderful. Why not? They they deserve a pat on the back. I'm not just picking on the Dove Awards, but why not in churches? Why don't we have more opportunities where we pat each other on the back and, and we celebrate our victories? What's wrong with taking a little pride in the things that we've done? Why not take a little spiritual spoil and get some rewards for our efforts? Why not? You know, you can. People do if you want to. But a couple of things to note, if we take our spoils now, we will spoil our reward then but take it now we're going to spoil it then Hebrews 11.6 says without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him God is coming and is bringing his reward Jesus says my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he said I am coming with rewards I am coming with trophies we're going to celebrate the good things the victories but if you celebrate it ahead of time it's like opening the presents before Christmas. It's, it steals the thunder. It steals the joy. And Jesus has something else to say about that. Matthew chapter 6, and verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He says, When you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites knew in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of it's like when you go into uh, what is that place the, uh, the ice cream place over in Burlington mm-hmm. and Cold, Cold Stone Creamery you go into Coldstone. if you put a tip in the jar, they have a bell they ring. You know, tip in the jar, kling. bang Yeah, that was my tip. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Tip for me. And they sing a song,
0: which I don't particularly like so much myself. It's a little creepy, you know. A five adolescent guys singing me a song as I'm trying to eat my ice cream. Anyway. But they ring that bell. Can you imagine if we had a bell here at the bridge, and every time someone puts something in the offering box, ding, 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 hey, 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 Penelope just put in an offering. if you do that if you ring your bell if you toot your own horn you have your reward in full you've got your reward is that the reward you want? want the little bell or do you want to see Jesus coming with the reward that's what I want Right. that sounds a little selfish. No, that's what I want. I want Him coming with the reward because I want Him. I want to see His own eyes. I want Jesus... Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse (laughs) 3. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be... Whoops. Hang on, that's... That's the wedding I'm doing on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) My wedding notes. Where was I? Okay, so. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's the deal. If we take our spoils now, we spoil our reward then. It's one thing to to consider and understand. But there's something else here with Saul. And the people taking spoils when God says, don't do it. The reality is with Saul. Is he's committing sin along the way. And he's so focused on the issue of the reward that he misses the opportunity to confess the sin that he's committed. The more we put off confession, as Saul is doing, the more we put off the Lord. Did you notice what Saul said at the end of verse 21? Go back and look at that. What did he call God? He called him the Lord your God. He didn't say the Lord my God. It's really hard to say the Lord my God when I'm standing in the midst of sin and I know it and it's unconfessed. I've got something in my life and I'm kind of hiding. It's really hard to have that intimate relationship where I talk to the Lord my God. And so Saul right here, speaking to Samuel, says, Well, they brought these things to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He shifts the blame onto the people. Then he tries to justify the behavior. Kind of like saying... You know, it's the people's fault. It's my parents' fault I am the way I am. It's what they did to me. It's my dad's fault. I'm just doing what he did. It's not my fault. It's grandpa's fault. You know, it's in the family line. It's it's everybody else's fault. Or it was peer pressure. it was the devil who made me do it. Hey, the devil may tempt you, but he can't force you. Anything to shift the blame from me. And so Saul calls... The Lord, the Lord your God, not the Lord my God. Here's the thing the more Saul shifts the blame, the more Saul avoids confessing what he did, the further and further away he puts himself from the Lord. Proverbs 28:13 He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion and this is what the world does not understand about Jesus if you come to him and confess your sins he does not have a big thumb ready just to squash you for it he has compassion What a wonderful thing to know that you can go to your Father when you have blown it big time and rather than be castigated and tossed out and, and yelled at, you're loved and you're shown mercy and grace. That's what God has for confession. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. By putting off confession as Saul was doing, we are putting off the Lord, and by re- seeking our reward now, we're messing up our reward then, and the two are connected. Listen to this. Genesis 15:1. It's got to be in my all-time top 10 verses in the entire Bible. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, "Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward." You catch that? I'm your reward. That's why I was saying before, I can't wait to look into the eyes of Jesus, not to see what he has in his bag of rewards. I'm not concerned about the rewards, or the size of the crown or the jewels in the crown. I want to see Jesus because Jesus is the reward. He is my reward. To be able to see him, to fall at his feet, to worship in person with Jesus Christ, what other reward could be better than that? He is the reward. And what Saul loses here is he loses the true reward, which is a relationship with God. They take the spoils, he puts off the Lord, he pushes away, he distances himself from God. When he could be drawing near through confession. And so Samuel responds, verse 22, and he says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, it is better to obey than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. This right here, gang, is one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. It's huge. The Lord does not require offerings like some greedy, lusty, pagan God. The whole system of offerings for Israel is not because God likes the smell of smoking cows. The offerings of Israel are not because God is hungry and wants the flesh to eat. It's not because the incense, God is just into incense. The offering system of Israel was to teach Israel the joy of obedience. What Israel didn't understand is the offerings were as much for them as it was for the Lord, for the Lord to teach them how wonderful it is to enter into His presence and to give something. He gave the Israelites something they could actually give to Him. The joy of obedience. And Samuel's saying obedience far outweighs sacrifice. Man, you you can work your fingers to the bone for the church and for the Lord. He's not looking for that from you. He's looking for obedience. Just spending time in prayer, being in His Word, living the life He's called you to live, obedience outweighs sacrifice. The point is never in the sacrificial giving. It's in the heart behind the giving. It's not about appeasing an angry God. It's about about drawing near in relationship to a loving Father. Listen to this. True story. It's in the headlines just this last week. I'll just read the headline to you. Airline sacrifices goats to appease Sky God. That caught my attention. Listen to this. Officials at Nepal's state-run airline have sacrificed two goats to appease Akash Bharab, the Hindu Sky God. Following technical problems with one of its Boeing 757 aircraft, the carrier said on Tuesday. Man, talk about a collision of times and cultures, you know. I mean, I can see sacrificing goats, you know, 2,000 years ago. This was last week. And it says that Nepal Airlines, which has two Boeing 757s, has had to suspend some services in recent weeks due to the problem. So the goats were sacrificed in front of the troublesome aircraft Sunday at Nepal's only international airport in Kathmandu, according to the Hindu traditions, an official said. Welcome to the world in which we live Things have not changed like we may think they have changed The Hindu sky god needed to be appeased So the Boeing 757 could fly It blew my mind to read this article And yet this is the world's view of god Or of gods with little g's That you have to appease them The Hindu view is we've got to sacrifice to appease God because then He'll be angry with us if we don't do the sacrifice. And God says, no, I'm not looking for appeasement. I'm looking for relationship. I'm looking for a time spent together, walking together. I'm looking for you to know me and me to know you. Not for you to sacrifice a goat so I'll make your plane fly. Unbelievable. Psalm chapter 40 verse 4. David writes, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, and has not turned to the proud, nor those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done. And your thoughts toward us, there's none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. And listen, David says... Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. He's saying the same thing that Samuel just said. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. David comes around later and says, Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. David was a protege of Samuel. And I have no doubt that Samuel, in anointing David, as happens in the next chapter by the way, And raising David up and training him and being a sounding board for him and a mentor to him. I have no doubt David heard these same words from Samuel. Oh, David, to obey. To obey is so much better than sacrifice. And so we see it pouring out in David's own songs. In Psalm 40. Amazing. This is the thing Saul is missing, and what Samuel is heartbroken over. Saul is missing the opportunity to be in relationship with God. Verse 23, Samuel goes on and says, For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the Lord, the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And at this moment, you can almost hear a loud as the lid of the coffin slams shut and the final nail goes into Saul's kingship. It's over here. Now he will still fumble on for a bit while David grows up and ultimately comes to the throne. He will still hold on to his rule. But he is no longer king in God's eyes from this moment forward. It's over. It's ended. Why, by the way... Why does Samuel equate rebellion with divination? Did you notice that? He said rebellion is the same as the sin of divination or witchcraft. If you're rebellious, you might as well be a witch. It's one and the same. Why does he say that? It's interesting to me that it comes from the same heart. Divination. I will divine my own course. I will decide what's best to me. I'll determine where I'm going. I am divine. That's what divination is. It's saying we can think through or figure out what's best for us. And it's denying the Lord. And Samuel says rebellion and divination, same thing. Because both are a denial of the one who would lead you, of the Father. It's also interesting, by the way, that he says rebellion is the sin of divination. He says this to Saul now. And later on, Saul is actually going to seek the counsel of a witch to try and raise Samuel from the dead. And she does it. Stay tuned to this study. It's coming up in a few weeks. It's a good one. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because... Oh, Saul. Oh, if he had only stopped one word sooner. I've sinned. Stop. But he uses that horrible word that, that we use far too often. Because... I I sinned, I transgressed, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. He's still making an excuse. He's still adding something to the confession. Listen, there is no because in confession. If I say, Lord, I I sinned against you because I was with these people and and they were doing the wrong thing and and I shouldn't have been there, but I sinned, it's not confession, you're still casting the blame consider the difference between Saul here saying okay I sinned because they made me and Jonathan his son in the previous chapter who had done nothing wrong but all Jonathan said was here I am I must die remember that from Sunday Jonathan was innocent of Saul's charges and yet he was willing to take the blame without any because that whole story about him taking honey when they were going to fight the battle and Jonathan says he could have said I took honey because I was hungry and I didn't know that you told us not to He doesn't say because. He just says, yeah, guilty. I did what you had commanded not be done. Guilty. Period. Here I am, I must die. Saul's got to stop making excuses. And we can learn something from that. No excuses. No because. Verse 25, Saul still goes on. He says, now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. And so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. And has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. For he is not a man that he should change his mind. And then Saul said, I have sinned. Period. Good. You got it, Saul.
1: Yes, you sinned. But, he says, please honor me
0: now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Saul is still more concerned about his image than he is about his relationship with the Father.
1: Okay I I sinned
0: Okay I get it I'm sorry it was my fault I was wrong I sinned But can't we please Go back and worship The people are starting to talk I can't go back there Without you Samuel If I go back without you The people are going to wonder What's going on It's going to look bad So, So please Will you come with me Come back with me so Samuel went back, following Saul. Interesting wording there. Went back, following. So not beside Saul. Not even leading Saul in grand possession. He was following Saul. I have this picture in my mind of Samuel with his head down, just depressed. Bummed out. But he went back, following Saul. And Saul worships the Lord. It doesn't even say Samuel does that. I don't think Samuel's heart wasn't in worship at that point. You ever gotten into a fight with a spouse or a friend or something, right before you walk in the door on a Sunday morning.
1: And with the fight unresolved
0: Aaron's room. Right. With a fight unresolved you sit down, the music starts and all of a sudden you're just singing and praying. No, you don't want to. You got this issue, this conflict. I've got an issue. <laughs> But you've got this this problem You don't feel like worshipping This is where Samuel is He's heartbroken And so Saul worships Samuel's standing there Samuel's not worshipping I I do wonder why Samuel goes If if he's so upset and he's so opposed And and he knows that Saul's kingship is over Why does he go back with him at all? And I think it's just because Samuel is a compassionate man He loves Saul He knows if he walks away Saul's going to look bad in front of the people And Samuel still loves him So he goes along with him But watch what he does Verse 32 Then Samuel said Bring me Agag The king of the Amalekites And Agag came to him Cheerfully (laughs) Agag said Surely the bitterness of death Is past I'm I'm good to go They didn't kill me So I'm going to live but, verse 33, Samuel said, this is right out of Lord of the Rings, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agad to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Chop, slice, rip, shred. Blood everywhere. I mean, this is a prophet of God. This is Pastor Samuel. You know. Let us pray.
1: Hack, slew, slice, cut, And I'm thinking, man,
0: what a great way to get out tension at the end of the week. (laughs) And I'm not going to say that there are Sundays that I feel like doing that. There are not. You're safe to come to the bridge, okay? But he just takes him apart. He slices him. He finishes the job. And that's one of the reasons I love Samuel so much. He follows through. The Lord says do it, Samuel does it. He doesn't ask questions. He just does what he's commanded by the Lord because he trusts him and he knows that God is righteous and true. Now you might say, wait, wait, wait a minute. If Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord here, then how in the world later on does Haman the Agagite live? If Agag is dead here, how is there a line to follow him? And the answer to that is very simply, apparently Saul didn't kill several Amalekites. Apparently there were others that Saul left living as well. He truly didn't complete the task. So there were those who were left to live. Even of the line of King Agag, who Samuel took out here, there were still those left alive. Verse 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah. Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul And Samuel did not see Saul again Until the day of his death Not giving up Samuel did not see Saul again Until the day of his death For Samuel grieved over Saul And the Lord regretted That he had made Saul king over Israel And it is a sad end to this chapter
1: It's kind of depressing Wow Wow
0: Samuel will no longer talk to Saul. He won't see him. He won't support him. He won't encourage him. He's done. And the Lord himself, what worse thing could possibly be said than the Lord regretted making you king? Than the Lord regretted bringing you into his household? And yet that is what is said of Saul. not over. Man has messed up. Things look depressing. Samuel himself, the prophet of God, is in a place of despair. And yet the plan is still in place. The divine program is still running right on schedule. Provision had been made already for a king to rise from the line of Judah and rule in Israel. And that king at this moment is tending sheep on the hills just outside of a little town of Bethlehem. And it's King David. The man who's yet to be king, but who will be? And God knows this, and he sees this. And watch what happens. Just three more verses, and we're done tonight. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself
1: among his sons.
0: But Samuel said, well, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And whom, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Samuel is not a fearful man. Obviously, you know, he's agag to pieces in front of everybody. This is not a guy who's easily rattled or afraid, but he seems to be kind of afraid of Saul. How can I go up? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Well, I think what's going on there, and you'll see it a little bit later in the chapter, which we'll get to next week, Saul is beginning to go insane. Saul's losing his mind. And it's this madness that I think is unnerving Samuel a little bit Do that again, coming up. But the Lord tells Samuel, "Look, just go and say you're going to do a sacrifice, and that'll get you over to Bethlehem, and it'll be all right." this sacrifice scenario to protect Samuel. One uh, commentator said there is no dissimulation or falsehood in this since God really wished his prophet to find safety under the pretext of the sacrifice. A sacrifice was therefore really offered and the prophet was protected thereby so that he was not exposed to any danger until the time of full revelation arrived. John Calvin said that. Calvin believed that this was kind of a setup. God said, okay, we'll make a sacrifice of the issue, even though that's not really what you're there for. You're there to anoint the new king, but we'll give this pretext. And Calvin thinks that's what happened. I don't think so. Honestly, I see it differently. I see the Lord not even acknowledging Samuel's concern look at this again Samuel says how can I go when Saul hears of it he will kill me and the Lord almost as if he's ignoring the statement just says take a heifer with you and say I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you this is what I want you to do Not even acknowledging Samuel's fear. He doesn't say, Oh, poor little Sammy, I'll take care of you. Here, let's, let's give you a covering so that you're okay when you go to get the new king because I know you're scared to get little Samuel
1: voice.
0: He doesn't say that at all. He ignores the fear and says, Go for it. Move on. Let's take care of it. And sometimes the best remedy for despair And this is what I want you to hear The best remedy for despair Is to move forward To go on To move on And not move moveon.org Move on with the Lord Which is far better Move on with the Lord When fear stands in the way Or doubt or dismay or sorrow God says he tells Samuel three things here He says fill your horn with oil horn with oil. Now obviously the literal interpretation of that is that Samuel had to fill the horn with oil so that he could anoint the new king. But there's spiritual application. Fill the horn with oil. Especially if you're stuck in the mire of despair. Psalm Psalm 132.17 it says, There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. And later on in Zechariah, the fa- or in Luke, sorry, in Zechariah the father of John the Baptist says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. Why I'm reading these verses is this. God says to Samuel, Fill your horn with oil. The Lord would say to us, Reach out and take hold of the horn that is filled with oil. What is that? The horn of David is a picture of Jesus. The oil in the horn, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And when you are stuck in despair, God would say, Fill the horn with oil. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't bemoan the past. Move on. Look who's coming, Samuel. Samuel. The next king is coming. For Samuel, the next king was David. For us, the next king is Jesus, and he's coming. Move on. You're stuck in that place of of sorrow and depression and even guilt maybe over past sins. God is saying, fill your horn with oil. Move on. The king is coming. He says, take a heifer and make a sacrifice. Well, you Bible students know this. Numbers 19 talks about the red heifer. The red heifer that was the sacrificial heifer, a very special sacrifice. For the purpose of purification. But the red heifer also speaks of the coming Messiah. Jesus is our future. He is not only the horn of David, the king who's coming, but he's also the purifier. Like the red heifer, that sacrifice where they would sacrifice the, the, the heifer and they take the ashes, mix it in water, and they would make a special purification. Jews today are waiting for the perfect spotless red heifer because they believe when one comes when they find one eventually it will signify the coming of Messiah because they will be able to sacrifice the heifer mix the ashes into the special mixture and then they can anoint the temple and purify it but you see in our case gang Jesus is the purifier the king is coming. He is the one who purifies. John tells us we know that when he appears we'll be like him because we'll see him just as he is and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. God says fill your horn with oil. He says man take the heifer and make a sacrifice and then he says to Samuel, finally go to the king of my choosing. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on
1: his shoulders.
0: And his name will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Listen, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David. And over his kingdom to establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And so all that to say this. When life is despairing, when you like Samuel in that place where you're stuck in despair, God's remedy is simple says, fill the horn with oil. Get up. Go to Bethlehem. Go to the spirit-filled horn of David, the purifier, in the offering of the red heifer. Go to the king of my choosing. Move on in Jesus. And let God
1: deal with the past.
0: Well, next week, we're going to go on in chapter 16. It's an awesome chapter. David will be anointed king and the line of David begins. That line that ultimately will land us in the person of Jesus. I'm so excited to be there. It's going to be a great study. So come on back next week. But let's pray before we go quickly before the next plane flies.
1: <laughs>
0: Father, thank you so much for all that you have to teach us and for your word. Spirit, I'm just asking you to get in what you want to get into. To bring to mind the things that are important for us. Pray, Father, that in spite of all the noise, we will
1: hear you in the quiet of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.